Star Workforce Studio. I remember the first time I went out to eat from the hospital, it's like, oh, a party of three. And I was like, but just two chairs. I brought my own. And my sister was just, <laughs> you are just going to be a pill. DR Workforce Studio, podcasting the sparks that ignite vocational rehabilitation through the inspiring stories of people with disabilities who have gone to work. As well as the professionals who have helped them. A job and a career. You, you got to look at how life changing this is. And the businesses who have filled their talent pipelines with workers that happen to have disabilities. To help expand registered apprenticeship. These are their stories. Because there's such a great story to tell about people with disabilities. Now, here is the host of the VR Workforce Studio, Rick Sizemore. Welcome to episode 98 of the VR Workforce Studio podcast. On today's show, Betsy talks with the host of the Abilities, Opportunities, and the Future of Work podcast from Michigan Rehabilitation Services. As we get ready for a webinar being published by the University of Wisconsin Stout's Vocational Rehabilitation Institute. If you'd like more information on that, uh, check the show notes at vrworkforcestudio.com. But in our big inspiration showcase today, it's Evelyn Clark, an attorney with spinal cord injury, setting the world on fire in her career. Welcome to the podcast, Evelyn. Thank you, Rick. I'm happy to be here. Well, uh, let's get started really with going back to a time in your life when things were going along pretty well and and you had a horrible accident and wound up with a spinal cord injury. Could you tell us the story? Yeah, so I had just uh, graduated from undergrad uh, from Roanoke College in May of 2015, and I had planned to take a year off and study for the LSAT and then go to law school the next year. And six months later in January of 2016, I uh, had an accident and suffered a T6 spinal cord injury and a host of other injuries and wound up in the hospital for about six months and went to the Shepherd Center and did a lot of rehab and then, um, you know, came out on the other side using a wheelchair and experiencing life completely differently. Uh, But then, you know, studied study for the LSAT when I got out of the hospital and ended up going to law school the next year. So many people get knocked down by an extraordinary accident like you experienced and have difficulty sustaining the career pathway. But it seems like you came out of the hospital to take the LSAT and ready (laughs) with great enthusiasm uh, to continue toward your goals of being an attorney. Yeah, I think I was very fortunate that I had already completed my undergraduate degree. I, uh, you know, have friends from the hospital. I think that would be really difficult, you know, navigating a campus that is probably inaccessible and going to different buildings, um, which I I think could be really difficult. So I was fortunate in that. Um, But it was, it was hard. And I, I think part of it was that I wasn't, you know, able to, fully do the job that I had been doing before. And so, you know, being a lawyer, it's not, you don't need to do physical labor or anything like that. Um, and so it was, it was what I had always wanted to do. And, you know, I was, I would go and, and do therapy and then come back home and do a practice test. And it was really hard and going to law school was hard, but, um, 
but it, in the end, it was it was a good challenge, and I am loving what I'm doing right now. And I just had to, you know, put my mind back on a goal and and have that in in mind, and and say, you know, just because I I'm using a chair now doesn't mean that I can't do what I wanted to do before. Wow. Uh, so, how did you connect with uh, the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services? So it was uh, mentioned, I was at the Shepherd Center in Atlanta and they said, you know, your, your government should have resources to help you with. Um, I also was fortunate. I went to church with the Rothrock family. And so oh, Jim really? Rothrock, yeah, who recently passed. Um, He's touched he, everyone's life in some way. Yeah, he was so incredible. He did so much good work. Um, and so, yeah, so I think Drew reached out to him after he heard about my accident and um, you know, he reached out and, and told us that, you know, we should talk to DARS. And so I, I got in contact with Wister Mail and she was just so great helping because, you you know, you're adjusting to life and how you're going to navigate the world from a chair, which is inaccessible. But, you know, people don't think about like the government side of it where you can't just go out and get a, a new license. Um and so that was a, a big hurdle for me to my independence was learning how to drive with hand controls. And so Shermail, you know, set that up that I was able to get, you know, my training and, and get hand controls put on my car and, you know, added to my license as a restriction. And that was, that was huge because I, you know, you need, you need help with, with some things. And, um, you know, she was great with helping me come up with a plan of, when I get to law school, what I would need and how to get assistance. And, you know, DARS was really instrumental in helping me get my independence back and navigating the, the government side of, of having a disability. Right. So, so many people uh, who listen to this podcast uh, have stories similar to yours. Uh, could you take us back to that first time that you entered a vehicle? Uh, in a wheelchair and what it was like actually taking control of a motor vehicle while sitting in a chair. Yeah. So I am kind of a scaredy cat. Uh, I'm very cautious. Um, It took me a very long time to like be able to do a wheelie in my wheelchair. Mm. Um, And so it was, I mean, it was, it was nerve wracking. It was scary. It was, you know, like learning to drive again. Um, I think my first time actually was at the Shepherd Center where they were able to, to have, you know, trainers that work there that, you know, I was able to go out and uh, navigate some neighborhoods and then went out on I-85 in Atlanta. Mm. So, I mean, I, I did okay. I, I think my uh, sister who was in the back seat was not as okay. <laughs> um, so it was scary, but I mean, now it's, I guess, been four years that I've been driving and it's just second nature. You know, it's not, it's, I don't even think about it anymore. We have a great picture we'll include in the gallery that goes along with this podcast of you in the vehicle. And you look so at ease. And you also travel to Northern Virginia. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I am currently uh, living in Maryland and my parents are in Southern Virginia. So, you know, I take five hour road trips 
you know, pretty regularly throughout the year. And it's, you know, not, not a big deal at all. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. A great story. Uh, Tell us about any other ways that DARS helped you through uh, that college experience and, and on the career pathway to becoming an attorney. Yeah, I think it was really hard to figure out how to go to school in a chair and, um, you know, carrying books, law, law case books are pretty heavy. They're, you know, notoriously several pounds. Uh, So, you know, I wouldn't be able to carry that in my book bag and, and, you know, wheel around school. So helping me figure out how to get books online um, and how the, the school can assist me. I think it's really difficult to ask for help and, you know, from anybody. And I think especially living life with a disability, it's hard to not feel like a burden because you need extra, but you're not, you have to think of it in a way of you're not getting extra, you're, you're leveling the playing field. You're making it so that you're able to do things like everyone else. Um, and so, you know, having someone on my side say, helping me advocate for myself, and saying, you can advocate for yourself and this is what you need and don't be afraid to speak up um, and helping with how to get those resources in school was really instrumental to building my confidence and I think helping me to advocate for myself because I think that's really important too. So that, you know, helping me to, yeah, you know, give, giving me the tools that I needed to wow able to be successful. So how did going through this experience uh, at midpoint in your college career uh, shape the type of lawyer that you are today? Uh, I've I've thought about it a lot and I've had conversations with people um, of if you could do it again, you know, would you be injured again? And I I don't think I would necessarily say that, but I, I've got an entirely different perspective on life. I think it's made me a lot more empathetic and able to relate to all different kinds of people. And I think that's important in the legal profession and is not something that I think has a lot of emphasis put on it, but the legal profession is a human profession. And that's a big part of it is working with people and understanding people. Uh, In law school, I was fortunate that I uh, was on a journal, the Journal of Civil Rights and Social Justice. And so my note that I wrote uh, was about litigation under the Americans with Disabilities Act and the, you know, being able to have both perspectives as a person with a disability and, you know, becoming a lawyer, it was a really great experience to, you know, talk to a significant legal problem, but also have the experience of being personally affected. Uh, So I really enjoyed that. I am not necessarily practicing, you know, disability law. Um, I, uh, but I, I carry that with me and knowing that whatever I'm working on and whatever I'm doing, it's, it's affecting people and keeping that in mind, I think is important for, for all lawyers. Uh, Many guests on this show talk about 
what advice they would have to someone with a disability who is uh, trying to overcome a challenge. I really want to come at this a little bit of a different way because you have such a unique position in life being an attorney and person with a disability. So I have to ask you, what what would your advice be to all those folks who listen to the show who have disabilities, who are up against different challenges from from an attorney and a person who's using a wheelchair, what what kind of encouragement or advice do you have for people? Uh, I would say don't be afraid to ask for help. I think that, like I mentioned before, um, I will say that I would not be where I am today if I didn't have my family as a, and my support system. Um, I think that's something else that's positive that's come out of my injury is I'm, I'm much closer with my family than I was before um, and really learning to rely on them and allow them to help me when I needed it. Um, and I think that's, that's hard for anyone, but especially post injury and feeling like a burden and, you know, really hating all of the stress that I put on them. And so I would say, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help and lean on your support system. And these people are there and, and they love you, but also know that, you know, you can do anything that anyone else can do and work through it and find, find these resources that help you. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of people out there who, who want to help you and want to see you succeed and who value diversity and different perspectives in their company and in their firms. And, you know, you bring an added perspective anywhere you go. And I think people really value that. And I think they should value that. And you should value yourself for that as well. What a powerful, what a powerful perspective. Do you have a favorite story about the legal profession and uh, being a practicing uh, attorney with a disability? It's only been a year. Uh, I graduated from law school last year. Um, and so I do a lot of different like federal regulatory work. You know, as a new associate, I'm working with all different uh, practice groups. And so I, I love that. And it's very interesting. Law school was great. Law school was interesting. Do you have a favorite story about being in law school as a person with a disability? Um, I think that it was it was really hard socially. Um, I have I have friends now that. I remember like, I, I was a little, I wouldn't say aggressive, but I was a little bit toughened, I think, because it was the first time that I was interacting with people my own age. And I was that girl in a wheelchair, you know, and I had never had that experience before. So I think I was a little bit defensive and I wanted to constantly like tell people like, oh, this just happened to me. I think a lot of it was my own internalized ableism of trying to say like, you know, no, I'm just like you. It's fine. I, this just happened, you know, and this could happen to you at any time. And so, um, you know, I look back now being so much more comfortable and confident with myself and not needing to prove myself. You know, I was always joking about stuff. I would, I have like one of my best friends from law school. Now we were, um, like at, at a bar in, in Lexington, one of the servers went by, I was like, Oh, there's another one upstairs. And she was standing in front of me and she was like, Oh no, it's fine. I'll wait. And I, I turned to her and I was like, well, I would love to go to the bathroom upstairs. If I could. Um, 
And I think, you know, I was always joking and I, I have a very like different sense of humor. I remember the first time I went out uh, to eat from the hospital with my, my sister and, and her husband and we went and it was like, oh, a party of three. And I was like, but just two chairs. I brought my own and my sister was just, <laughs> you are just going to be a pill. Um, and so we like, I look back on those interactions and laugh because, you know, we weren't really friends at that time and she didn't really know if I was kidding. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, if you don't know people with a disability and, you know, someone in a wheelchair is just like, well, I wish I could go upstairs. You're kind of taken aback. But um, I, those are some of my favorite memories. And I'm like great friends with all these people now and um, softened myself uh, as I've become more, more comfortable and confident in my abilities and, and my status as someone with a disability and knowing that, that that's okay. And I don't have to explain myself to people and prove that I am, you know, normal because I am normal and I don't, I don't need to, to prove anything to anybody. Well, we'll conclude the interview by saying uh, Evelyn Clark is an attorney who happens to have a disability and is uh, doing great things in the world, spreading a very positive message for all who will listen and hopefully all who are reached through this podcast. Thank you so much for taking uh, your valuable time to share it with us and best of luck to you uh, in in the future, uh, Evelyn. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Here's Chip Stratton on emergency preparedness for individuals with disabilities. How would this look if I were completely alone for three days? Think about the disasters that can impact our area, where you live, where you work, where you visit. Knowing the best response for your personal circumstance and who better to advocate than you. Make a plan. If you use paratransit, touch base with them and make sure they are going to run during an emergency or that they know that you're on the top of of a list. The local emergency management office, same thing. Let them know who you are, where you are, what your unique circumstances are. Final thing is a kit. Food, water, medications, Mm -hmm. supplies. Again, being very specific to what you need. You know what a normal day looks like. So now think of what that would look like on an abnormal day. FEMA.gov is an excellent site full of resources and information. Ready Virginia, and you can get apps for all those, gathering as much information as possible. For more information, visit VADARS.org. There's so many cool new podcasts that are beginning to emerge in the VR community. As you know, we've been promoting the Abilities, Opportunities, and the Future of Work podcast with co-host Nasha Ely and Shri Naraganon. Nasha is a business relations consultant with Michigan Rehabilitation Services, and Shri is a professor from Michigan State University. Welcome to the webinar. Nasha, tell us the story of starting the Abilities, Opportunities, and the Future of Work podcast. I think it's definitely making a difference because with the larger platform, we're able to share information and have conversations that the general public and businesses and customers can benefit from. Um, that And these are conversations that don't typically take place. So we're able to highlight individuals who are successful in working and have disabilities and also highlight specific programs that benefit individuals with disabilities as they seek employment and highlight those employers and businesses that do have um, good initiatives and, and things that most people don't know about because they aren't in those organizations. 
because I think the platform has been really, really beneficial in in hitting all those targets. Well, great. And what is the most important lesson you've learned from using a podcast versus other communication vehicles in your business relations outreach? So uh, I, I, I think I just wanted to add one thing to what Nasha said and perhaps, you know, jump into that question. Is this okay? Is that okay? Uh, absolutely. No, I, I, the one thing I wanted to add was that the, the podcast itself, the, the, the goal for us was to bring all the stakeholders in one place and talk about the issues because it sounded like from all the discussions that we've had with the Southeast Michigan ERG Council, where MRS is also a big part of it. Um, and in attending those meetings, one thing that kind of emerged is that we needed a platform where people could voice their ideas. It was not it, including the employers, also the individuals, all these not-for-profits that are serving the community in so many different ways. Um, so we, we, what we originally thought was we would bring each one of them to that podcast and, and have and discuss different issues and aspects of those issues. And in some cases, we could make it collaborative because the first episode of our podcast actually has three individuals, all of them um, of different types and, and sort of showcase the idea that you need to capture the diversity in the space. Um, and that needs um, different minds to come together and different occupations to come together. Um, that was sort of the um, uh, another aspect to what Nasha was just saying. Okay, well, why a podcast, as I said, for, versus other communication vehicles, um, just a straight interview, a presentation, webinar? Why did you guys um, think the podcast venue was, was best for for this approach, and what have you learned most from using a podcast format? I can speak a little bit to the advantages of the podcast format. Hey, this is Tyler. Um, so podcast allows us to have long-form conversations with subject experts uh, in the field of disability and employment. We, uh, as an agency, try to explore as many forms of communication as we can, um, not only to promote our own services, but to spread it awareness of disability and employment. Um, and podcast is just another way we can do that. And it makes it unique because you can have extended conversations um, and, and really dig deep into uh, a particular issue or topic of conversation as opposed to, say, you know, a newsletter or a pamphlet or an email or something like that. Um, so those are the advantages I see of the podcast. Uh, I'll turn it over to uh, uh, Nasha and Sri, though, in terms of what they've learned from the process. And I think the distribution is also very easy. So, you know, there are so many subscribers to podcasts now on iTunes. We, so our podcast is available on iTunes platform and certainly on SoundCloud. So um, the distribution of these podcasts is so easy. Um, like Tyler was saying, uh, we could we could divvy up longer conversations into shorter parts. There's so many, so much flexibility. Um, and we, we certainly have the, um, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to write off as a platform. And there are a couple of other podcasts, too, that we, we sort of uh, uh, looked at uh, that are all available on iTunes and other uh, podcast platforms, particularly focused on disability. Yeah, and I would say, too, about the podcast platform um, and using this as a communication tool is that it's really personable. There's something about being able to listen to someone speak in their own voice, in their own words, 
that is different than if it's in writing or an information drop in other forms. So that is why personally, uh, even outside of this project, I'm a fan of podcasting uh, as a genre. And are there any obstacles, though, that you found in producing this? Um, and, and like again, any lessons learned for, for others and advice to others in the VR community who are thinking about starting a bot- podcast? From, from the VR perspective of being um, formerly a counselor and now a business relations consultant, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> like it's exciting to have these conversations and to be involved in this project because it's like my voice and thoughts in the voice, in Shree's voice and all the guests and Tyler's knowledge, we're all putting it in one place and we can, you know, one podcast is shared or one person listens and then someone, it's like that um, planting a seed of, of, of whatever we're discussing. And you can have so much impact, positive impact that you can't have in a, in four walls with 20 people in a group or in a newsletter. So I think just from my perspective, it's such an innovative way to do the work that we do that I don't think traditionally has been done. Um, and I think it could just lead to so much more impact and change in disability and employment. Well, Nasha, I could listen to your voice all day long. You have a great voice for podcasts. And <laughs> thank you guys for joining us. Best of luck on your future episodes. Thank you so much for having us. This has been an awesome opportunity. Well, it's time for our National Clearinghouse for Rehabilitation Training Materials Report with Sherry Takamoto. Welcome to the podcast, Sherry. Hi, Rick. And it seems like self-advocacy is such a focus in the VR conversation these days. Yes, and in fact, it's one of the pre-employment transition services that those of you in VR call pre-ETS. So... First, I have a five-part webinar series on pre-ETS from the two RSA-funded TA centers, the WinTAC and NTAC. The fifth pre-ETS service is self-advocacy, and that is the fifth webinar. And then I think the Colorado Office of Employment First does a great job of providing information on these services and a nice job on self-advocacy, both in English and in Spanish. Wow, that's exciting. Next, I have a few online things like the self-advocacy online from the RRTC on community living and participation. I'm Determined is a great site hosting videos and tools from the Virginia Department of Education-supported Youth Leadership Initiative. Go, Virginia. (laughs) Yes, of course, here in Virginia. And then we have a three-part series called Clearing the Way for Empowerment from an RSA-funded Peak Parent Center, as they share inspiring stories and practical advice to parents and youth with disabilities. That's awesome, Sherry. Do you you want to know what else I have? I do. What else is in the uh, report this month, Sherry? Okay. Well, everyone's heard about Free Brittany, right? (laughs) We've heard all about it. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's brought increased attention to guardianships. And I have two other resources on alternatives to guardianship. The first is a supportive decision-making webinar series from two RSA-funded parent centers, SPAN and Maine Parent Federation. And the second is called Informed Decision-Making. It takes more than practice, 
by members of Self Advocates Becoming Empowered and the Green Mountain Self Advocates. Do you want something for nerds? Uh, and we are all into nerds. Let us have it. <laughs> okay. Finally, I have an Institute on Rehabilitation is- Issues publication developed by VR professionals on promoting consumer empowerment through professional rehabilitation counseling. So it's counselors telling other counselors how to do all this. Well, it's super cool. Sherry, thank you so much for your report. And we always appreciate the resources and information you bring us from the Clearinghouse. Thank you. Here's Lynn Harris, director of the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation. The foundation is pleased to bring you these exciting stories of how vocational rehabilitation is changing people's lives. Your support helps students gain the skills and credentials they need to be successful in business and industry. We thank all of our partners in podcasting who made this episode possible. The Council of State Administrators of Vocational Rehabilitation, CVS Health, Dominion Energy, Daikin Applied, Hollister Inc., and United Bank. You can find out more about becoming a sponsor at wwrcf.org or find our contact information in the show notes at vrworkforcestudio.com. You can always find another exciting episode as we podcast the sparks that ignite vocational rehabilitation here at the VR Workforce Studio. Until next time, I'm Rick Sizemore. The VR Workforce Studio podcast is owned and operated by the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation. The foundation publishes and distributes the VR Workforce Studio and manages all sponsor arrangements. Audio content for the podcast is provided to the Wilson Workforce and Rehabilitation Center Foundation by the Virginia Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services in exchange for promotional considerations.